Morning, church. Thank you, buddy. Good job. Take your Bible, turn with me this morning, John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Sir Isaac Newton, first law of motion states, everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. I think we all recognize within ourselves from time to time the need to change. Yet we also recognize that the change we need is hard to achieve. There's a very important story about change recorded in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus has gone up from Cana of Galilee to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the great religious feasts. It's worthy of note that he, as the Lamb of God, as Brady sang about, he would take away the sins of the world, would enter the city through the sheep gate, the very entrance to the city through which the sheep for the temporal sacrifices were brought. Once inside the city, he came to the pool of Bethesda, lying all around the pool are sick and paralyzed individuals. They are there because there is a legend that an angel would on occasion come and stir up the waters of that pool. And the first person to enter that pool after the angel stirred the water would be healed. It was, of course, a superstition. But it was the last hope for many of these people. It was not unlike what we find in many parts of our world today. Lords in southern France has a spa, spa which many believe has healing capacities. The, shri- the shrine of Guadalupe in Mexico City is another such place where thousands have gone hoping for healing. Whether anyone is healed or not, the people come believing. Believing that there is hope for a healing here. Now Jesus moves into the midst of this group. But he does not indiscriminately just heal everyone that was at the pool that day. But as he moved among the blind and the lame, he is drawn to one particular man who has been ill for 38 years. The Bible does not say the nature of the disease other than that it rendered him unable to walk. But this morning, I want you to know with me, if we study this man and his condition, I think that we can learn some things about ourselves. First of all, the story begins in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatsoever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 
for 38 years. Up until the 19th century, there was no evidence outside of John's gospel of the existence of this pool. Therefore, scholars argued that the gospel was written later, probably by someone with, without firsthand knowledge of the city of Jerusalem. And the pool had only been there in a metaphorical rather than a historical way. Because of that, many of them believed that this was not a historical account, but they saw this story as an allegory. You know, an allegory is a story that has two levels of meaning. First, there's the obvious surface of the story, the interchange of the characters and the plot of the story. Then there is a hidden or symbolic meaning where each of the elements and characters can be interpreted to reveal a hidden secret. The symbolic meaning of an allegory can be political or religious or historical or philosophical. Allegories are kind of like massive metaphors, but they usually come in narrative form, and that is they are told through stories. Suggestions are that the man represented the nation of Israel and its powerlessness uh, to make a man right with God. The five porches represent the five books of the law of Moses. The 38 years that this man had been waiting was the 38 years that Israel had wandered in the wilderness. And the stirring of the water represented baptism. Yet, not only is it highly unlikely that John wrote an allegory, but in the 19th century, archaeologists discovered the remains of the pool fitting the description we find here in John's gospel. The pool was there just like John said it was, and it had five porches. It is today called the Pool of St. Anne's. At any rate, it was into this mass of desperate people that the Lord walked. It's interesting to consider that out of all the people, Jesus chose to heal one man, this man. It could have been because Jesus knew that this man had been suffering for 38 years, but there may have been other reasons that Jesus had compassion on him. One thing we do know from this scripture is that it was not because this man had sought Jesus' help. He didn't ask for it. In fact, he did not even know who Jesus was. Jesus encountered him, and he asked him a strange question. Do you want to get well? It might seem kind of crazy to ask someone who's been paralyzed for 38 years whether or not they wanted to be well. But, of course, Jesus never asked a question without a good reason. According to John... Jesus has traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem in order to celebrate a feast or festival. We don't know for sure which one, but it may have been the Feast of Pentecost, a feast commemorating the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Which feast is really incidental, but there is one point you'll need to see, and that is the fact that Jesus deliberately healed on the Sabbath. In fact, we'll be looking at that particular aspect of it next week. The significance of the fact that he did this healing on the Sabbath. 
When he was in Jerusalem, Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, where a great multitude of sick people gathered. Fittingly, the name Bethesda means house of mercy. If you're reading out of something other than a King James Version, the attraction of that pool given in verse number 4 may be omitted in your text because it was thought by some that it was a later addition. At any rate, it was said that the angel of the Lord would come at certain times down to this pool and enter the pool, and anyone who entered after that was cured of any illness. Now, whether or not this had ever, in fact, happened, it was what the people believed. In this multitude of people who had gathered was a man to whom Jesus was drawn. This morning, I want to ask you, if you want to be different than you are right now, if you want to change some things in your life, then I want you to note with me the three essentials that you will see in this story with me this morning. First, we must have a desire to be changed. Verse number six says, when Jesus saw him lying there, And he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? On the surface, that seems a strange question. This man has suffered for nearly 40 years, and Jesus is asking him, do you want to be made well? But then Jesus never asked a foolish question. And the Lord has a way of cutting through to the heart of any problem. Therefore, it is obvious that it was important for this man, at least for himself, to answer the question, do I really want to be healed? Do I really want to be changed? This may not be as odd a question as it may first appear. He's asking a very serious question because it is entirely possible that this man does not really want to be changed. In the past 38 years, this man has been a beggar who has lived by the pity of others. If he is healed, he will lose all of that. In the Middle East, in biblical times, and some places even today, a person who was healed would lose a good living. I'm told that in some places in the third world today, parents still are guilty of crippling their own children in order that they might have a living by begging. This man, by being healed, would be venturing out into the unknown. He would lose all his present securities. He would have to be responsible for himself. He would have to find work. He would be entering into a whole new world. It would be the equivalent today of asking a person who had always lived on welfare if they were willing to give it up in order to be well. To be healed meant to enter into a completely new life. One with wonderful possibilities but also with a certain amount of risk. After 38 years he had accepted his condition. He was content in scratching out his existence by begging. Being paralyzed was a help. 
because people felt sorry for him. Now that he'd be, if he were healed, he would have to work and take on full responsibility for his life. Perhaps he may be concerned about that. Fact is that some people will go to extraordinary lengths to avoid any unwelcome changes in their life. David Reaver, a disabled Vietnam veteran, tells of a young man in the 1960s who didn't want to be drafted. So he went to some extraordinary lengths to try to avoid that. He had all his teeth pulled out to make himself unfit for military duty. But when he reported for his physical, they told him he had flat feet. How would you feel if you just had all your teeth removed? I see in this man many people in our own day. Their their lives are sick. They're paralyzed in their heart or in their mind. Their lives are dysfunctional, but they have never considered that God might have something different for them. They have learned to live like they are. They don't even know if there is something else, if there is more to life. They have been become satisfied with just subsisting. They're not seeking God or calling out to him. It is though they are sick, and yet they are unaware of it. And if they are unaware of it, it seems normal to them. We see this even in the life of church. We see people who attend church. They come, and they are respectful, and they seem excited about what they're learning and hearing. But they're not saved. They listen to the gospel, and they leave. But there comes a time when they realize that they do not really want to be changed and they leave for good. Even after we are saved, we continue to be confronted by issues in our lives that we need to change, like bitterness and unresolved conflicts and things that have been hidden within our lives for years. The question is, do we really want to change? So the question that Jesus asked the paralyzed man that seemed unnecessary, even ridiculous, was relevant for him and for us. First of all, we must have a desire to be changed. Secondly, we must decide to not continue Making excuses. Verse number 7 says, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Notice that he really didn't answer Jesus' question. He does not say that he wants to be well. He dismisses Jesus' question and merely complains about his condition. The lame man did not answer Jesus' question directly, but rather said that he had no one to place him in the pool when it was disturbed. In other words, he tells Jesus how unfortunate he is. He lists his troubles to be sure he has plenty to complain about. But he whines about his life instead of answering Jesus' question about whether he wants to be well. 
In today's language, we would say that he sees himself as a victim. I want to give you some symptoms that we might be a victim. There is that word that we've all become familiar with over the last few years. It is the word victimization. It's what happens when a person always sees themselves as the victim. It happens when a person says, I'm a victim of society or I'm a a victim of my upbringing. They are people who continue to see themselves as having been dealt a lousy hand in life. So how can you tell if you or someone you know is a victim? Well, victims endlessly repeat how they've been mistreated. If you around this person and if every conversation seems to come back to how they have been mistreated in life, it may be that they're a victim. Victims also live by the childish notion that life should always be fair. Perhaps we have all heard our children say the phrase, that's not fair. Have you heard that? What is our response to that? Get used to it, life is not fair. However, we as adults all too often still think life ought to be fair. And we should be the ones who determine whether it's fair or not. Victims also find it difficult to forgive others because they see forgiveness as a weakness. Many people in Jesus' day also saw forgiveness as a weakness. Victims also have difficulty maintaining close relationships because they have difficulty trusting other people. And finally, the cry of the perpetual victim is, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. If you are unwilling to accept responsibility for our lives, then It has to be our parents' fault or our spouse's fault or society's fault, but it's nothing to do with me. It's not my fault. Dr. William Glasser is founder of a reality therapy. During one of his his seminars, his talk had one main theme. He said, healthy people do not make excuses. He used one example, the tendency that people have to make excuses when they're late for an appointment. They will say the traffic was heavy. They will say they got a last-second phone call or a crisis came up at the office or so on. And Dr. Glasser argued that those kinds of excuses just cover up the real issue. If it's late, if you're late, it's because you're incompetent to run your own life. I don't really like that. He suggested that instead of making a lame excuse, the next time you're late, just simply say, I'm sorry, I guess I'm incompetent to run my own life. (laughs) You might just try that to see what kind of looks you get. It's only when we stop making excuses that we discover that we have the power to change. We have the power to be on time. There are some truths we need to face, however. We all make more excuses than we'd like to admit. We're not an exception. We make excuses like every one of us. 
It's possible also to break the pattern of making excuses. And change is never possible until we admit that we have a problem. Not only must we decide not to continue to make excuses, but third, finally this morning, we must demonstrate our faith by our action. Verses 8 and 9 say, Jesus said to him, Rise and take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. The day was the Sabbath. Jesus did not discuss the pool. He didn't discuss its alleged ability or inability to provide a cure. He simply told the man to get up and to take his bed and walk. The man was healed, but he was not healed by the water. Jesus said to him, get up and take up your, bed, your mat and walk. So obviously the man now had a choice. He could listen and ignore. He could listen and hope, but still stay where he was. Or he could listen and obey. And we really all still have those options. In his words to take up his bed, the Lord is telling him and all those who truly want to change that something very important. Do not make any provision to go back. If he takes his bed with him, he's not going to be able to come back and fall back into that pattern again. Many people fail right there. We need to burn our bridges. Perhaps you know the story of historical story. In 1519, Cortez landed in Veracruz, Mexico to begin the conquest of the Yucatan. It was his purpose that there be no return. As soon as all the supplies were unloaded, he told his men, now burn the ships. Burn the ships. They had two possibilities, fight or die. You know, they decided to fight. When we take away our option of going back, we remove the temptation to give up. According to verse 14, later Jesus found this man in the temple and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The literal translation of the Greek is don't keep on sinning. Pretty clear. Don't keep on sinning. Why was he told to stop sinning? Was the disability really caused by his sin? Whether or not we think he is implying that this man's original condition was due to his sins, Jesus is warning him that he is not to take his healing for granted. You've been given a new lease on life. You've been given a new start. It's significant that he told him, stop sinning. That's, in effect, told you need to repent. So are you really ready to change? You can be if you want to be. We must desire to be changed. We must 
decide to not continue making excuses. And we must demonstrate our faith by our actions. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are willing and able to change us. It may be that there's someone here today that needs to make the great change to recognize their sin, that they cannot save themselves, and that Jesus has already done everything necessary for their salvation by paying for their sin on the cross. And all they must do is recognize that, accept the forgiveness that he is offering. It may be that there are others within the congregation this morning that have some issue in their life that they'd like to change. And they need a new start, and they need power. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help them to recognize that change is possible that you are there to help them with that change and that you can empower them to be different. Father, whatever it is that you want to do in our hearts and lives this morning, we want to give this time over to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.